Hey everyone, this is Race, Justice, and the Church. I'm your host, Nate Winstead. You can follow me at Nate, Night with a K, Wins. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Pastor Kenny Hart. Hey everybody, welcome to our second conversation with Pastor Kenny Hart. Yes. He's here on the mic yet again. He's got so much to add. Uh, we could talk for a long time. Yep. Two pastors, two preachers. Yes, two We preachers. could talk for a very Dangerous. long time. Uh, but we got a few things we're going to talk about um, on this episode. And the first thing is just how we met um, and, you know, how we've uh, grown in our uh, relationship over the past three and a half years yeah, or so. Almost four almost years. Four years. Amazing. Um, so I knew Pastor Kenny when he was at Christ Crucified Fellowship, yep. Church in the Heights. Same. Um, I was at Everyday Christian Church and... Both of our churches had uh, offices in this giant shared office <laughs> yeah. space. Yeah. Um, like a warehouse. So it was not fancy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the gathering is at a WeWork now, yeah. and it's super nice. Oh, and, yeah. We, we, we're but fancy. This was, not, we're this, was, this was not bougie at all. Anyway, uh, so I, I had met Kenny like once or twice. Yeah. Um, I always tell people I knew him as the smiley pastor because yep. <laughs> – he would see me and like we would recognize each other and he would just like smile and like, hey, hey. And I would be like, hey, <laughs> like I can't remember your name. I know, but, right? Me but he was that guy. Um, yeah, he was kind of longer then. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a little I longer. Used to have, it was a little, used to have some, used to have oh, a lot, man. man. Nah, I, ooh, I forgot about that. I want to <laughs> put that far behind me. <clears throat> Those days. But yeah, um, so that's like the extent of how we knew each other. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I, in uh, the end of 2005, or 2015, I stepped away from that ministry, yeah. um, decided to go back to seminary, and really was trying to figure out like what church I was going to be a part of, yeah. you know, where I was going to land um, in both in church and in ministry. Yeah. And I talked to uh, a few, you know, trusted uh, leaders and friends that I had, and they said, you should talk to this guy, Kenny Hart, who's yeah. planning a church in Harlem. And I'm like, okay, uh, whatever. What? Okay. Um, so I believe I sent you a Facebook message. Yes, you did. Which I always tell people Facebook can be redeemed. Yes, it can. <laughs> like, yes, it good can. Good things can I really come. I reconnected with my wife on Facebook. That was, well, oh, my look Lord. At look gonna, at God. I'm going to hope that, you know, Come on, hold that. Hold that. Believe me. that in faith, Nate. Um, yeah, so I sent him a message just like, hey – some people have said we need to connect. Um, let's get together sometime, and uh, we did. Um, but Kenny did like I think someone had uh, I don't know what was your experience like was was that totally out of the blue? No, it wasn't. It wasn't because it was crazy. Is so as Nate said, we had known each other from um, our previous churches, and you know after you left, um, I noticed your Facebook posts change. Oh, right, yeah. So so for me, I was, you know, and this and this is how Facebook is redeemable. So I'm mm. I'm on Facebook and I'm and we were friends at the time and so I'm looking at your posts and I'm like, yo, this this guy's woke. Like I'm like, this white guy gets it. And and it was rare at that time because I was going through my own metamorphosis with, with regards to race. Mm. Cuz though I had only been a I had always been a black man, I had only looked at Christianity kind of through a, a white evangelical lens. And that was what all my training was. And so for me, 
um, race and the gospel didn't go together. You mm. just didn't talk about the two. The two weren't related. Mm. Um, and so I was now on that journey of, of really going back to scripture and going back to the Bible and going back to the gospel and going back to history and really seeing how much of the scriptures actually talk to justice mm. and speak to these kind of uh, conversations we're having today. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I saw a sermon you preached at like I don't know if it was like I don't know where you were but it was something on Galatians and it was something about race and it was something about the church it was some sermon you preached oh lord and so I had just watched this <laughs> message I don't you even were, know I don't even know I can't you were no think longer working at the church at the time but you went back and I think it preached a message and and it was wow it, yeah and it and I watched it and I'm like okay I need this I need to invite this man to be on my court team. yo Kenny I Okay, I remember that sermon. You remember it? I remember feeling <laughs> terrible about that sermon. I watched that. I thought sermon. it was an awful message. That sermon. I was, was the like, why. I barely, I got, I preached the gospel, but otherwise, I didn't think it was a very good message. That's crazy. And that sermon is the reason why I invited you to be on the wow. court team. Wow, I don't even know what I said about you were race or justice about, you or were anything. Talking about all those things that you were. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. So God <laughs> used it. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And um, and I was I was really impressed by that. And so when you reached out to sit down. I had actually been planning on reaching out to you anyway. Mm. So it was like God orchestrated it. Wow. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah, see, man, Look I'm, at God. I'm convinced, you know, God is at work all over the place. He's working when we're not. He, he, he's always working. He's at work while we're asleep, man. Yep. So, man. Then, so yeah. then at that point, we sat down and... And um, I, my, that, that conversation, I really just wanted to get to know you. I wanted to get to know where you were on this journey of awakening. I wanted to know how you thought about privilege, how mm -hmm. you thought about your position in the world as a white man, as a, as a Christian white man, as a pastor white man. Like, I wanted to really just get your perspective on all those levels of yeah. power and privilege. And when I heard you, I was just like, oh, yeah, this guy it's done. Because I had knew, I knew the kind of church God was calling me to start, mm. and I knew that if we were going to be a church that actually bridged the racial gap, we couldn't just be black and brown. Yeah. And if we were going to be a church that was actually going to bring together diverse communities, um, but with a heart for justice that both shared, then we had to have diversity. And so I, I also knew that the average white male in particular mm -hmm. would not come and follow a black man yeah. with this kind of vision. Yeah. And so I knew that there needed to be a special kind of person. And so it was like, you wouldn't answer the prayer. You didn't even know it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I tell people that, that after that, during that first conversation, mm -hmm. you know, I, I uh, was in a place where I, I was feeling a lot of white guilt. Yeah. Um, and I did not know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, but whatever, I was very excited about the vision that you shared. I was like, that's, you know, add me to the prayer list or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly but what you said. I think actually the, the second meeting, <laughs> you wanted to have another meeting. I did. That's why um, I followed up. Yeah, so we had like lunch again or whatever, and you were asking me to be a part of the, think about being a part of yep. the core team. And I was just like, nah, man, I don't know. He's like, no, like no, I'm, I'm not the one. I'm not, I don't know why you would ask me. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've I've found that, uh, with some other people that I've known, um, you know, in seminary, in um, diff different spheres, when they when they start to wake up a bit, you go through this period of of guilt, yep. of white guilt. You're like, what do I do? What do I do with the skin that I'm in? Wow. Um, that black and brown people, people of color, have have to deal with that their you whole just deal lives. With it every day. But white people, you know, you you don't have to until 
uh, you know, you realize some things right. and it's put in your face. And so I realize that's part of the process yeah. now um, in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, I was like, I'm a gentrifier. I'm a, <laughs> I'm not from New York. I'm a white guy. And you're planting a church in Harlem. Oh. Harlem, New York City, like, nah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the blackest, wokest community in New York. Right, exactly. Yes. But you believed in me, and you wanted I me did. to be a part of it. And, you know, I had been actually, you know, another thing of God's providence, I had been praying that God would lead me uh, to a church where I could be under a pastor of color. That's what you said, yeah. And it's like, here's God <laughs> answering so my prayer, like, too. putting that right in front of me. Yeah. So, I mean, when you pray, yeah, I, I was God so impressed answer. by that because it's one thing to have these conversations in our churches, right? And especially, and I'm I'm speaking now to uh, majority white churches, majority white leaders listening. It's one thing to have these conversations, right? But it's another thing to say, I'm going to put myself in a position to be the minority. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself in a space where I'm not the one um, who who's 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 controlling the conversation. I'm going to put myself in positions where I am the one. Who's um, at uh, who is uh, disadvantaged in that area, and when you do that, mm-hmm. now you begin to do gospel things. So that's a gospel move, right? Mm-hmm. There's the only way to give up that kind of power is to be looking at the cross. You got you got to look at a God who has that kind of power, who gave it up for us, yeah. right? And so though He is strong, right, right through His weakness, we are made strong, right? And so you have to be thinking gospel in order to do that. And so when you said that to me, I was just like. Yeah, I need this guy on this. Th- I, he's the one. Yeah, well, I mean. So now we're here. Yeah, the gospel is not about upward <clears throat> mobility. It's about downward mobility. Yeah, I just preached that on Sunday. The yeah, kingdom man. is upside down. Um. So, yeah, that was uh like three and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, we <laughs> I joined the core team. Me and Kenny were the only guys that were a part of the core team. Yep. We had a bunch of amazing women. Powerful uh, women. Leaders uh, that you know, many of them are still leading, um, at TGH, but Mm. you know, here we are. Um, and you know, just thinking about, um, you know, bridging racial barriers right now, uh, like there, there is one other white guy (laughs) at the (laughs) gathering, Mark, I'm giving you a shout out. What up, Mark? (laughs) That's the homie. Um, you know, I've thought a lot about this, you know, like why, why aren't um, yeah any or more uh, white men, you know, coming to the gathering? Because you know they'll they'll, they'll visit, they'll yeah. be here, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, but they won't stick around. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've really thought about the fact that uh, in the United States, a white man, um, your entire life can be uh, insulated. Yeah. Uh, racially where you are where the uh, the the friends that you have your family um, your work relationships yeah. uh, where you go to church mm-hmm. all of that by default can be very much white yeah um, and so it is a deliberate step that you have to take yes, you do. for white men specifically yeah. to place yourself in a, in a minority space where you're not uh, <laughs> where you don't have like a, a, some kind of voice or power or something yeah, like that. That's so good. Um, and you know, I, I have to mourn that because I'm like, here I am. I did make this decision mm-hmm. 
and now I'm realizing, oh, it really is a decision. It's not just something that it's not something that people will just do. No, no, so, it, it's a deliberate step. And you have to think how many white men at any season of their lives or any point of their story had to submit to a black man mm-hmm. or a Latino man, right? Like at what level? What Were their teachers black and Latino? Probably not. Right. Were their uh, employers black and Latino? Probably not. Were their managers black and Latino? Probably not. Were their professors black and Latino? Probably right. not. So it's like, at what level? Were their pastors black and Latino? Probably not. Yeah. So at like what even level? Even the books that we're reading. Even the books the that you're reading. Do, in, everything. Your yeah. world is insulated by whiteness. So where are you going to hear that outside voice and then learn how to submit to it? Right? So it's not it's not making an excuse. It's I, Even as a black man, I mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah. But we have to challenge it. With the gospel, we have to say that is not of Christ. We have to say if you're a Christian, you're following a minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Jesus was an American. Jesus was not a white American. He, <laughs> he was, was not. not a white evangelical. No, right. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Palestinian man, mm-hmm. and so you are following a man of color, and so you have to start to change the way you think. But even Christianity has been whitewashed. Yeah, and that's a big problem. Yeah, it has fit very easily into. Uh, the ideology of white supremacy. That's that, it. That whiteness is normative. That's it. Um, and really, the status quo. You know, the gospel should move us to enter into other people's worlds, just as Christ entered into our world, right? Through the incarnation. And um, sadly, <laughs> white right. evangelicalism, you know, <laughs> it hasn't so, been that. So that's why, right, to, to talk about a little uh, TGH, right, that's yeah. why um, when I wanted to start a church, God gave me a vision, right? And the vision of the gathering is a Harlem where everyone is unified and dignified because justice, love, and mercy are present. Mm. God gave me that vision because, as you just said, Nate, the church has thought of itself excarnationally, not mm. incarnationally. Ooh. Right. So in to be incarnational is to be um, totally embodied. That means that's embodiment of mind, body and soul, but also of place. Mm. Right. And the church has not thought of itself as an incarnational people the way Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened is we've moved along the world in these sort of racial categories, which makes us float above the land. It makes us not think about our power. It makes us not think about our skin color. It makes mm. us not think about our privilege. It makes us not think about what we, what my presence means to a community that's not from my culture or mm. background, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So now I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not thinking well about place. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in a place. Yeah. He was, he was raised in Nazareth. In time and it, history. It, it, he yeah. was so incarnational that when. That when uh, uh, Philip brings him brings Nathaniel to him, he says, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" Right. Yeah. Right. That's how incarnated Jesus was. Mm. That's how how much of a of a, uh, how embodied he was. How from a place. How much from a place he was. Yeah. That you could point and say, "Yo, he's from the hood. Like he's from Nazareth. <laughs> right. Nothing good comes from there." And so I think the church has lost that. And so. Mm. The, the three things that God gave me for TGH was justice, love, and mercy. And that plays itself out the three core values, right? Being a church for the unchurched. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're in a generation where people are um, asking uh, better questions of the church. Mm-hmm. People are skeptical of power. People are skeptical of institutions. 
and rightfully so yeah. in Harlem. The biggest challenge right now, uh, especially amongst black and brown people, is you know th- this this now a black awakening where people are like, yo, listen, Christianity, Christianity is a white man's religion, right? Yeah, like I can't, I I can't get down with that. That that's what they read to our ancestors, in right? Slavery, yeah. right? And Howard Thurman would tell our story as well, where you know. The, he couldn't read Paul to his grandmother mm. because of that, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think now we have to undo that. So we have to be thinking, okay, we're a church for people who who do not go to church. We're a church for people who question the church. We're a church for people who believe in God but not in church. Yeah. And what we have to show people is the same God that you think you believe in is the God of this church. That That's the God that we worship. Mm. And what the institution has looked like is not what God looks like. Yeah. Right. So then the second thing is saving souls and body. That's justice, because yeah. the reality is Jesus rose from the grave with a body. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens in the churches, and, and I don't really understand this. How can we talk about justification and not justice? Ooh, when you you break the word justification by faith down, <laughs> right. how do you get ju- how the do you not get justice, justice. <laughs> out of justification? Yeah. Right. But what's happened is we've spiritualized the gospel. Yeah. We've made the gospel a spiritual thing. But when Jesus was asked, are you the one or should we look for another? Mm -hmm. He said, well, the sick are healed. The Mm -hmm. blind see the The lame walk. Yeah. You go and tell John that the kingdom has come. Yeah. Right. In other words, there was manifestations Mm. of the presence of God in the kingdom of God. And the gospel of God, and that was restoration and justice. That's good, yeah. So why are we thinking of the gospel as merely a spiritual restoration? Yeah, ticket to heaven. Yeah, right. For our a souls. Ticket, yeah. Right, right, right. Pie in the sky, by and by. Right. Whereas, really, the gospel is about a, a total embodied renewal. Mm. It's yeah. a it's a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I heard N.T. Wright say that he's like, you know, Christians. All, only think about the problem with evangelical Christians is that we've only been taught to think about the gospel in terms of heaven, uh, uh, in terms of escaping earth to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. But the whole Bible is about heaven coming, coming to, earth. to earth. Yeah. And so we don't understand the embodiedness of the new heavens and new earth, but that is the total renewal we should be working for toward on the earth. Yeah. The third thing is unity through dignity and diversity. Right? Why is why is dignity and diversity so important? Because that's what eternity looks like. Mm. And the reality is, I think the church has not really thought well about what's happened to us. How did the, how did a movement that began integrated on Pentecost, mm-hmm. racial others, diverse racial others, so diverse that the Spirit has to give the apostles the ability to speak all these different languages in the church? Yeah, so racially diverse. How did a movement that began that was the birth of the church? Yeah. With 3,000 racially diverse others, how did that movement turn homogenous 20, tw- you know, 2,100 years later? What happened yeah. to the church? And what's happened is we've been racialized, mm-hmm. and we don't even know it. And somewhere along the way, what was integrated became homogenous because we began to get divided along race, class, and gender lines. Yeah, And that was never God's plan to begin with. Yeah, man. Uh, if you're curious about, uh, you know, this whole this whole way of uh, how America looks at things, uh, how our culture works, 
I, I like the word racial. We're racialized. We're a racialized culture. Yeah. Um, and that came from um, uh, that came from the book Divided by Faith. Yep. Uh, which I've talked about on here before. Uh, Great book. Read that book. <laughs> it's required reading in my <laughs> required mind. reading. But in the first chapter, or whatever they talk about how our culture works racially. When yes. you look at someone, yes. you size them up whatever, unconsciously, uh, you put them in a racial hierarchy of yep. how much education you expect them to have, how much money you expect them to make, uh, uh, how much how much life experience you expect, all these things that are just so woven into the fabric of our culture yep. that we don't even realize it. Um, so that's why I, I, you know, people get all bent out of shape that like being called racist, mm-hmm. whatever, I'm like, yeah, that it's unhelpful <laughs> at this point. Um, but I do believe that we live in a racialized culture. Our yes. whole culture is yes. is built upon yeah. uh, a racial hierarchy, yes. whether we realize it or not. Yes. Um, yes. And and so you have to deconstruct that constantly. Yes. And I and I do agree to an extent to say maybe the language racist isn't helpful. Um, but I do think, yeah. but, but usually like calling a person. Yeah. A and racist. people get defensive. Yeah. So they shut down and they don't listen after that. Right. But yeah. the reality is maybe what the, the language should be is bias. Mm. Right. And, and, and the, 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 the thing about this, cause I heard somebody say this before, like, well, black people are racist. And I'm right. like, well, to be ra- to be racist means that I have power and privilege to operate on my bias. Because racism is a system. Mm, yeah. Right? Racism yes. is not individual sin. Racism is systemic sin. Right? So so what you're saying is you have the capacity in your individual body to carry out the manifestations of a racist system. That's what the, the, when you when you call somebody racist, you're saying you're an individual representation of a system. Mm. Right? Mm. And so, yeah. yes, in that sense, you know, black people, and this is and, and this is like a controversial statement, but this is what I said to this person. I said, black people can't be racist. We can have bias because we don't have the power to actually operate on our bias yeah. and really yeah. and, and systematize it to lead to oppression of racial others. And so, yes, everybody has bias. And I think that's what we have to come to terms with, mm. whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, doesn't matter. We all have bias. And, and what we do with that bias is what's killing our world. Because what, instead, what, what we don't do is come to the other side and have a conversation. What we don't do is ask ourselves, what would Christ do in this? How did Christ handle bias? How did Christ operate in this world systems? Instead, mm-hmm. what we do is we just default to what we were taught and what we learned and, what, and how somebody raised us. Yeah. And, and yeah. That, that's a bad mechanism. Right, yeah. Our, for living. Because our, our culture is fallen our family of origin is fallen um you know sin is a a part of all of that and we can't we can't just rely on what we know yep (laughs) we need god's revelation um man i i think about uh with with uh just leading in ministry uh this is an issue that um, you know, I got like zero training on um, <laughs> when I was, you know, learning about ministry. Uh, but it really is a difficult 
subject that takes a lot of thinking, a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're overwhelmed, like yep. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's very complicated. We all felt that way, but you gotta, you gotta educate yourself. You, you gotta need push through to, that. yeah, push through that. Um, and, and keep, keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, cause I, I think that yeah. a lot of times we just label like, if we get to Twitter or whatever, like, oh, those are social justice warriors, so I don't have to listen to them. Uh, we put people in their categories and, you know, move on. But you've got to you've got to be open. You've got to hear the different sides. And really, uh, as a Christian leader, you need to see what the gospel says about this, yes. how the gospel doesn't fit into any of those categories, yes. but gives you a totally new framework of yes. existence. Yes. So, yeah, that's the only way we can heal this. I mean, and 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 I understand and I have empathy if you're overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. I had to spend two years unlearning much of what I had been taught mm. at my white evangelical seminary. But at the same time, and, I, and I'm a black man saying that, but at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of things in life that overwhelm us that we push through. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I got overwhelmed. I, you get overwhelmed when you bring home something from Ikea that you got to put together. <laughs> you get overwhelmed when you get a new device or a new computer, or a new mm-hmm. iPhone or a new anything. You get overwhelmed when you get when you say I do on your wedding day and you look, <laughs> look at your spouse like, how are we going to do this again? <laughs> right. Over, being overwhelmed is not an excuse to not do the work. Mm. And, and I think That's what's good. happened is we've we've given excuses. We've excused ourselves from doing hard, necessary work. That honors and glorifies God. And this is why the church has a pathetic voice mm. and not a prophetic voice. Ooh. Oh, come on. So anyway. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> come on. Oh, you're you're so good at coming up with those. <laughs> um, so I want to transition mm-hmm. um, to another topic. Uh, you know, uh, uh, when you were planting um, the gathering, you did it through the Orchard Group, yep. which is a church planning organization, church organization. Um, that's uh, mostly connected with Christian Church slash Church of Christ uh, congregations. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they're predominantly white. Yes, they are. <laughs> and predominantly in the Midwest and like different parts of the country. Yep, the Bible Belt. Um, and, you know, a lot of them became, you know, major donors. Major. Um, and partners. Yeah. Uh, so I would love for you to just talk about what that was like. <laughs> Ooh wee. Um and you know what you really envision for that relationship. Yeah. It's it, it's been an amazing ride, but what it has had its ups and downs. So when we started, you know, one of the things I was very clear on um from the very beginning um was that this vision that God has given me is not for sale. Mm. I'm not for sale. Mm-hmm. This church is not for sale. This vision is not for sale. I'm not here to dance a jig. I'm not here to be a token. I'm not here to, um, you know, sort of bow the knee to whiteness. Like, like this is going to be a partnership. So what I established right off the bat, and this is something that I've talked to a lot of black and brown church planners about that they haven't done with their partners. But what I established right off the bat with all of my partners was, hey, this is a hand. This is not a handout or hand up. Mm. This is a hand across. Mm. we're shaking hands on this and we're looking each other in the eyes, men. And and if you're partnering with the gathering, what you're saying to yourself is there's a, this vision is my church needs this vision. Mm. Even though my church has thousands and thousands of millions and millions of dollars of budget, what, what Kenny and the gathering is going to do, we need. 
Wow. Because, yeah, you have all of that, but you don't have the racial equality that the gospel says you should. You don't mm. have the diversity that the gospel says you should. You don't have the vision for justice that the gospel says you should. And so each of my partners had to feel like there was something that we brought to the table that would be a benefit to them and their congregations. Right. It, it, just as they bring something to the table that's a significant benefit to us. Mm-hmm. And, and if that wasn't present, then what would happen is the power that they wielded with the massivity of their organizational strength and the resources they were funneling into the gathering would just crush us. Yeah. It would just overwhelm this little baby church that was trying to come to life. And, and so I had to establish that real quickly. And in the process of that, I learned some lessons. Like one of the lessons was, you know, right after Donald Trump was elected in 2016, I sent out a series a very uh, uh, passionate tweets. Uh-oh. Look out! Uh, passionate tweets is what mm, we'll say. Okay. And um, you know, one of the partners that I had agreed upon um, um, working with uh, at that after those tweets, we had literally just handshaked the week before, uh, and they were going to give the gathering fifty thousand mm. dollars. After I sent those tweets, they pulled out. I got mm. a call from one of the pastors that next week and said, "Hey, you know, we really, uh, you know, can't partner with you." Things of like that, and then Orchard Group sat me down, and I had a great conversation. And and really, what I learned in that was uh, the point of the conversation was, "Hey, Kenny, we can help you raise money to be to 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 plant a prophetic community, but we can't help you raise money to be a prophet." Hmm. And the two are not the same, hmm. right? The gathering itself, I can re- I can help you. Get the gathering the resources it needs to do the work in Harlem of justice, love, and mercy that it feels called to do. That's going to transform this neighborhood and the world, I believe. But to be an individual prophet, I can't help you be John the Baptist. Mm, Okay. And there's a reason why John the Baptist doesn't have resources behind him. (laughs) There's a reason why Elijah didn't Mm. have resources. There's a reason why Isaiah and Jeremiah, the the, the work of being a prophet is a lonely isolating yeah. work it's a work where you're always offending somebody mm-hmm. and so to be a prophetic community it's 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 dignifying it, it creates space it creates room to have those same conversations but mm-hmm. then to do it in a way that's redemptive to be a prophet is i'm speaking truth to power and i'm calling you to change and so those two things just you know i had to i had to make a decision at that point way before we started the church what kind of movement was this going to be? Because yeah. I also knew I was going to handcuff, handcuff um, a lot of the the resources we would need to do the work we called we were called to do. Wow, mm-hmm. man, that is that's a good distinction because uh, yeah, uh, especially with the ability to just post anything yeah. on social media of yeah of being a prophet. Yep, <laughs> which is what I'm naturally I'm, yeah. I'm naturally a prophet. That's my call yeah. and, and, and gifting. And so if I wasn't a church planter, I would be saying a whole lot more on social media. Right. And, 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 yeah, and, oh, I know you would be. Oh, I would be going off. But, I mean, you could, yeah. And I still could, but, but, but understanding when to pick my battles because there's a bigger war we're fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I think that's good for me to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I'm looking at planting and, you know, thinking about my whole social media. Yeah. Um, so my relationship tough. with my partners, it's tough because, but here's, what's been beautiful about this, right? So like I said, right off the very bat, I said, Hey, I want to have a partnership. We're not charity. Yeah. Um, what's happened as a result of that is I've preached at almost every, I preached at every partner church except one. 
Um, and even the one I didn't preach at, they've had multiple teams of leaders come here to learn about race, justice, yeah, dignity, gentrification. And those churches, those other churches I've gone and been able to preach on those subjects yeah. to their thousands of congregants. And so what's been beautiful about this is God has worked in such a way that what the vision was in the very beginning has played out. They have blessed us yeah. tremendously, but they all, I'm confident, would say we've blessed them equally oh, as, yeah. as greatly. Yeah, we've had numerous teams come out. Yep. And, and I love how they are here to— They're here to learn. Be, yep. like, just to be here. <laughs> yep, yep. They don't they're, come do mission here. trips. They're right. not doing trips. They're not, they're not doing—, doing They might serve on a Sunday, mm-hmm. but by and large, they're coming to learn from us. Yeah. And our team, man, what what is it that we don't know in our privilege and in our context? Yeah, that's it's that's been how really different refreshing. has that been? And you've yeah. been a part of those because conversations. I've been, a part right? of a, I've been a part of another church plant where, you know, we had teams come out and we had to as a staff, we had to come up with mm-hmm. things for them to do. Mm-hmm. And it honestly took energy away from mm-hmm. the ministry we could be doing. Mm hmm. Um, and so it's been really refreshing having the, having all the teams come out and, um, and, and, and think about the humility of this, Nate. And this is why I'm mm-hmm. saying having that conversation on the front end and being supremely confident that if God gave you this vision, he's going to provide he's the provision provide and it, yeah. the right provision. Mm-hmm. Like this is why that's so important up front because you've been a part of that. And I've been a part of that. That's been my old church experience where partners come and it's been a, Yo, we got to figure this out. Oh my gosh, it's so exhausting. We got to sh- we got to create stuff for them to do and it's taking energy away from the work that we are actually supporting mm-hmm. us to do and all this and on. I have that kind of relationship with my partners where I could just sit down with them and say, "Hey, listen. Having 30 white people walk through Harlem right with us <laughs> as we do some kind of thing in the neighborhood, you're going to stick out like It's not going to help our mission and cause. No. Mm. But having y'all come to our office and sit down at a table and us to share a conversation where we pour our hearts out and you pour your hearts out and you just listen and learn from our, our stories, our experiences and the way we think about scripture in the mm-hmm. faith. That's transformative. Cause you could take yeah. that back to your context and then to come serve us on a Sunday morning where we really need volunteer help and we really need that's blessing our congregation. Right. So our partners are every time they come, they ask, Hey, is this going to be overwhelming? If it is just say no. Mm-hmm. And if not, you know, how can we learn? That's so great. But you got to do that up front. Yeah. That's why I said my experience has been amazing. I can't complain about any of my partners, but I know that's not the case in 99% right. of church plants. Man, so if if you're listening to this <laughs> you're and you're planning planner. a missions trip or whatever, like, yeah, have have this kind of mindset. Like, how can you be a learner? How can you be a blessing? How that's can you it. not, you know, complicate things that's it um and this makes me think of uh something that uh ray baki uh he's an author that has written a lot about um urban ministry he talks about how cities are places where uh they're the perfect place to do ministry training because there's so many problems yeah there's just as many problems but there's just more of them there's more more of them um he says you know, where do doctors go to do their residency? They go to a giant hospital yeah. full of sick people. That's so good. And that's how they learn how to deal with it. And they can go that's anywhere. That's so good. Um, in the same vein, I love how, um, you know, these teams are coming to New York City mm-hmm. uh, where 
we have the same issues as they have in other places. Times but they're just kajillion. Yeah, they're, it's just uh, uh, bigger, bigger, more in your face, more complex, more complex. So if you can deal with it here, yep. you're going to be able to deal with it there. Yep. Um, so I just love that that you know that vision is is coming out. Yeah, man. Um, all right, so uh, we gotta we gotta wrap up. It's been um, amazing. This, this, these conversations have been great. Yes. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully we can have you on the mic an- again, on another season, you know, yes. season um, two, but a uh, question I've been asking everybody, uh, this season is, uh, just thinking that, uh, many of our listeners are from white evangelical churches, their leaders. If you could tell, um, these leaders, anything, what would you tell them? I think I would say two things. Number one, I would say um, think about um, in the in the church world, and especially in the white evangelical church, um, the temptation is to talk about reconciliation. Mm. Yeah. My uh, if I could if I could suggest this in love, my suggestion would be let the oppressed groups in your church talk about reconciliation. And let the privileged group, the group that has had power, the white evangelical group or whatever group that has power, let that group talk about justice. Hmm. So what, my, my biblical example of this is Acts chapter 6. Okay. In Acts chapter 6, we see the installation of the first deacons. Mm, yeah. What's interesting about that passage is we always teach that when we install new new diaconate. But actually there's something even deeper happening on a racial level mm, yeah in that text that's a racial passage that's it in that text there's hellenistic widows right who are mm. being oppressed by hebrew widows and the hebrew widows are the group that has the racial power right they're right. the group that's getting all the food for the distribution each and every day but the hellenistic the greek-speaking widows are not and so what happens is they go to the church, they complain, they go to the apostles, the, the, the oppressed group, and say, hey, we're being oppressed here. We're being left out. And then the, God, and the apostles say, hey, listen, we can't wait on tables. We got to preach the gospel and pray. Mm-hmm. But appoint for yourselves seven godly men who can manage these matters. What happens is the church comes back together. They pray, and they install seven deacons. Now, mm-hmm. we only talk about that. Yeah. But what we never mention is all seven of them had Greek names. Or Greek, yeah. Including Stephen. Yep. So when you think about that, here's the group that had all the power, but what they did not do was put a token Greek (laughs) with six Hebrews. Yeah. That's what we do in our churches. Yeah. Instead, they totally flipped the power structure by putting all of the oppressed people in power and saying, you decide what all of us get. Yeah. That's what the gospel does to you. Yeah. And so I would say let the groups that have been oppressed, let the black and, br- black and brown community talk about reconciliation and what the matters of restoring relationship looks like. But, but you as the group that has had the power and privilege, talk about justice. Talk about what does it look like? What more can we do to bless those communities? Not be paternalistic. What more can we do to bless those members in our congregation? What more can we do to really fight these systemic problems that we see in our neighborhood mm-hmm. and let them talk about the reconciliation? And the second suggestion I would make is this is just for white America as a whole, yeah. right? My white brothers and sisters who I love. My second suggestion would be is, is this. If white people love the black people as much as they loved black culture, <laughs> we could heal America yeah. tomorrow. Wow. 
That's a word. If we loved mm. black yeah. and brown people as much as we loved black and brown culture, we could heal our country and our church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And our church is tomorrow. Man. If we loved Mexican people as much as we love Mexican food, oof, we could out. heal our country and I know churches y'all tomorrow. Love your tacos. If we Come love on. black people as much as we love black music, yeah, like hip hop, music, fashion, rap, fashion, <laughs> yeah, we could like, heal our country tomorrow. Wow. So that's my final suggestion. That's good. Love y'all. That's good. All right, PK. <laughs> thanks for being on the mic. Uh, how can people how can people get connected with you uh, on on the interwebs? You can find me on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram um, at Pastor K Hart, um, and the same for Twitter. All right, dope. Follow, like, subscribe, all those things. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for having me. <laughs>